Hi, this is Michael Anthony, and welcome to episode 2 of the Epiphanitis Podcast. I've had a long day and a very productive week. In this episode, I'm already mixing things up a little bit. I actually recorded most of this away from home. Just me and my phone recording wherever inspiration strikes. I recorded most of this in the deep dark of the night. And part of it was recorded on a sunny day at Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, New York, which turned into a very dark and stormy afternoon. And you'll get to hear some of my thoughts on that, if you can hear me through the pitter-patter of rain on my umbrella. I'm not exactly sure where in the episode that epiphany will be, but I should say a few words about my trip to Greenwood Cemetery, which I should mention you can see footage of on YouTube. Just search for Epiphanitis, Michael Anthony, whatever will get you there. But the first thing I saw when I got to the cemetery was, I thought they were hawks, but it turned out they were vultures. I've never seen wild vultures in my life, but there they were, carnivorous scavengers welcoming a carnivore to the cemetery. <laughs> Look, I know that they weren't there for me, but it felt special and it was a synchronicity. Because the head of security there told me in his decades working there, he had never seen vultures at Greenwood Cemetery. From there, I went on to find the gravesite of Leonard Bernstein, great conductor and composer, and fellow New Yorker. And then I went on a much longer walk to the grave of Jean-Michel Basquiat. And at the end, there was a dramatic shift in the weather. Along the way, I recorded a lot of thoughts, reminiscences, and, of course, epiphanies. I'm actually going to include some of that audio in the podcast because it is part of the podcast, but I still encourage you to see it for yourself on YouTube. The Epiphanitis format is already evolving, and I'm not even sure I'm going to have a regular theme song. And actually, you know what? I think this episode I want to play a song that I wrote the day my cat died. Because this episode is actually about humor, inspiration, and death. I'm only going to play a clip for now, but at the end I'll play the whole thing. This was a moment of epiphany that came out of a deep, deep sorrow. My cat, Nietzsche was the first life that I raised on my own, with the help of friends, family, and my long-term ex-girlfriend. But to be with him from so close to birth all the way to death, it was very difficult for me to handle. In that moment of shock, I didn't know what else to do but try writing music because there was no way to express my feelings any other way. So, again, I will play this in its entirety at the end of the episode, but for now, here is a clip of Death by the Second Law from Little Monsters.
Hi, this is Michael Anthony, and welcome to episode two of the Epiphanitis podcast. And I'm going to start off by saying thank you so much for all the support I'm already receiving for this podcast. It's more than I expected. I mean, I'll admit it. I wasn't sure what the response would be, because it's an odd topic. It's something that I think we're all interested in, epiphanies, but eh, I wasn't sure that we all experienced epiphanitis. So thank you for confirming that there is indeed an epidemic of epiphanitis. I'm trying something new, which is I'm using a more portable microphone and recording thoughts as they arise, which is, I think, in keeping with the theme of epiphanies and trying to follow them and capture them and bend them to our will. I don't know, can, can you bend an epiphany? So with this experiment, I anticipate an evolution, a gradual evolution of the format as I take these random notes and thought sketches and try to weave them into the tapestry that is Epiphanitis. This is all part of my personal process of finding the appropriate outlet for different creative impulses, because as an artist who draws, writes, performs, <laughs> I have to find the medium that will best capture that particular thought, feeling, image, you know, whatever it is. And this actually reminds me of a very sweet story. My dad, when I was born, tried to draw a portrait of me. And this is his story. Of course, I, I don't remember any of this. I was an infant. What do you expect? What do you want from me? I was a baby. Anyway, so my dad kept trying to draw me, and he's an excellent artist. I mean, the technique, that wasn't a problem. But he found it difficult to express how he felt about having his uh, firstborn son and ended up writing a song about it instead. It. <laughs> me. He ended up writing a song about me instead. Very sweet. I am I this and that stuck with me. And it's a very sweet story, isn't it? Uh, heartwarming, I'm sure. Anyway, so so that stuck with me and I think about that when I'm struggling with the form that a particular creative impulse should take. A couple of weeks ago I was really trying to discipline myself. I said I am going to draw every single day. I even started to take my subjects from the calendar for the day. So there's a birthday, there's a, a death day. I was drawing famous people who were born on a particular day or who died on a particular day, and that was fulfilling. It was good practice, but it ended up feeling pretty empty pretty soon. I think I was forcing it in a way that was counterproductive. Because as important as discipline is, at some point you have to know when to say enough already. I get it. I, or I don't get it. And I'm still drawing pretty much every single day, but I'm not forcing myself to churn out masterpieces. Not that I was or ever have, but <laughs> I do expect a lot of myself and I try to maintain a certain standard and a certain level of productivity. But as I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm not really interested in just being a content creator. I mean, content, that doesn't sound like much to me. It's, you have the word creator at the end of it, but you're just creating content? Something? A thing that's there? 
That's what it sounds like to me. Content is a th something that takes up space, the contents of the internet, as if the internet is just a big box full of stuff. Or maybe I'm just making too much of a little old word, but I think that words matter. One of the most challenging things about finding one's medium is something that affects us regardless, which is breaking out of old habits that aren't helping anymore. So when I was trying to force myself to draw every single day regardless, when I have these other muses competing for my attention, I was neglecting the media that were more appropriate for my creative impulse. It's kind of crazy, actually. I have avoided certain stimuli, such as reading a certain book or listening to certain pieces of music, because I know they're going to trigger this creative impulse to create some writing or some music that I don't feel like I'm ready to create. But the fact is, I know that inspiration lies dormant just beneath the surface, and I'm avoiding it. Which is silly. It's almost criminal. I mean, what a waste of life to avoid inspiration. Although sometimes it might be wise if you know that you're... It's kind of like uh, trying not to get too turned on when you know you can't do anything about it at the moment. But even though it comes with a lot of frustration, I say go ahead and get turned on. Get really hot and bothered and let that energy seethe within you. And later on, when you finally get to your typewriter or your sketchbook or whatever it is, that consummation will be all the more blissful. With that said, I will admit that there is nothing worse, it seems sometimes, than to be stuck without a creative outlet when you're out and inspired where you cannot express it. That's why I've always made it a habit to carry a lot of crap with me. Too much stuff, probably, but I keep a full-size Bluetooth keyboard to type on my phone like a little computer. I keep a physical sketchbook and drawing materials at all times. And I used to keep a notebook on hand at all times as well, but find that I take most of my notes on my phone, and I don't really see any problem with that, except when there's a crash and everything gets deleted, which is terrible. But I try to see that as the equivalent of, say, having a notebook get soaked in the rain, which has happened as well. And now that I have basically a waterproof phone, maybe it's even safer. I don't know. But there is something to be said for the physical act of actually putting pen to paper, pencil to paper, any of the traditional methods of getting your ideas down can be very beneficial on just a primal and instinctual level. But what am I going on about? As I've said, sometimes an epiphany will open up further epiphanies, and this is one of those situations. I, I think that the actual point of all of that is to say that I feel very much at home in the podcasting medium, and I think that it's going to unleash a lot of creativity in my life that has been sort of dormant, waiting to find the right expression. And in this podcast, I am engaging the side of me that is a performer in order to redirect my very inward and obsessive energy. Because when you're just sitting and writing, sitting and drawing, sitting... It's about striking a balance between inward and outward. It's a, in my case at least, it's a matter of redirecting the energy 
which is generally inward, and kind of alchemically transforming it into something that is extroverted in order to get it out there. You know, I'm realizing more and more that I'm struggling with a realization that I have to snap out of my usual patterns. The things I'm used to doing are not keeping up with what I am being, if that makes sense. I'm trying not to make this so personal that it sounds like I'm just talking to myself, but hopefully you can see yourself within this struggle, this challenge. And there's a tangential epiphany for you that I'm realizing that my personal story is not entirely irrelevant to the world at large. Haven't we all heard that advice to writers that you must be very specific in order to address the universal? That's pretty much what our personal stories are. These very specific stories to which we can all relate, on one level or another. And that's probably why I've read more biographies than any other kind of book, especially autobiographies. What I've realized is that I have to learn the difference between myself and my work. I'm used to drawing certain things, writing certain things, and reading and watching certain things. I don't know about you, because I've never really discussed this specifically with anyone, but when I am inspired to create, I experience a sort of tension that is kind of the opposite of hunger. What Friedrich Nietzsche referred to as a sort of abundance, uh, an excess of life energy. I'm paraphrasing, of course. <laughs> I was just thinking, what is really the opposite of hunger? It's puking, throwing up, vomiting, which is kind of what art is, isn't it? We're vomiting out our souls or our minds, depending on how intellectual our artwork is. And not just artwork per se, of course, it can apply to any creative endeavor. But this pleasant nausea of potentiality is essentially this force, this essence from which one can distill a wide variety of creative applications. No matter what medium you're working in, that inspiration is the clay, and you have to form it into something. I mean, you don't have to, but if you have any creative bone in your body, you're going to want to. And I think we all have at least one creative bone. And no dirty jokes, please. I'm just kidding. You can tell all the dirty jokes you want. I love dirty jokes. Uh, but anyway, and again, I am a romantic, but I experience this creative inspiration as a tension in my very flesh. I can feel it in my sinews and viscera. And I suspect that... Most people who feel the need to create may experience something very similar. It's almost like a biological function. You get this urge and you need to fulfill it, and I'd argue that the creative impulse is a biological function, because the human animal, for whatever reason, evolved this creative capacity, and it's part of our nature. It is part of nature. Which leads me to an important tangent. Everything is nature. There is nothing outside of nature. I have trouble understanding this need to define things as supernatural. 
No matter how weird it is, it's part of nature. It just might be something we don't understand yet. And I think it's important for anyone to pay attention to what that creative impulse wants. What does it want to become? What form should it take? Because I think that even if you have been a filmmaker for 30 years, your most recent creative impulse may take its ideal form as a piano sonata, or even a fat hip-hop beat. And when that inspiration strikes, I think you have to feed it. At least I know when my muse comes to visit, she's hungry. She raids my inspiration fridge every time, and I have to keep feeding her while I work. Which is fair enough, I mean, my muse is feeding me. Gotta reciprocate, I'm no ingrate. And uh, my most frequent scenario is I'll be drawing and listening to music. That's very common. But I pick out music that's very specifically nourishing for that particular project. Something that fits the mood or the theme or the subject. Many times I've even gone so far as listening to music that I just was not in the mood to hear, but that the artwork did want to hear. All of which comes down to the fact that it's best to create a supportive environment for whatever you're working on. I think that's a good principle for life in general, though. You just want a supportive environment. And that includes your internal environment and the influences that you allow to enter that environment. Because when we fail to take responsibility for our internal lives, someone else out there is making a buck off of selling us our own hopes and dreams somewhere over a plastic rainbow. I'm not sure where this will fit into the rest of the episode, but I want to take a moment to remember publisher Adam Parfrey, who passed away on Thursday, May 10th. 2018. I didn't know Adam Parfrey personally, but I did read a lot of books he published, especially those by and about Anton Zander LaVey, one of my greatest influences. I could not possibly count the number of epiphanies that I've experienced while reading the books published by Adam Parfrey. His company, Feral House, which I hope will continue long after his death, is a great resource for those interested in what I call cultural heresies. Some of it is highly questionable, but that's what he did. He helped us to ask questions, and he shared answers from quite an assortment of exciting weirdos and villains and thinkers who dare to challenge the status quo on a really fundamental level. Whether or not you're familiar with Adam Parfrey and his titles, I encourage you to go to feralhouse.com, F-E-R-A-L house.com, where you will find plenty of dangerous books to enrich and corrupt your mind. I will always be very grateful to Adam Parfrey for all of his amazing work. Hi, this is Michael Anthony. I'm in Greenwood Cemetery, and I'm watching amazing hawks, I believe they are hawks, flying overhead. There are a bunch of them just flying around everywhere. Alright, this is interesting. Um, yeah, it turns out those were not hawks. Those were vultures. 
I was hanging out with the patrolman, one of the patrolmen here, and we, we were looking at these things. They landed very close to us. I think I have some footage I'll show you right now. Hold on a second. I want to get you all. You see this, right? You're verifying this, right? Oh, yeah. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I want to make sure I get this on video. <laughs> and, yeah, we realized these are vultures. And he told me in his decades here, he has not seen vultures. So that's interesting. A little uh, magic, a little synchronicity, if you will. I just successfully hunted down the grave site of Leonard Bernstein. I've always admired Leonard Bernstein for his artistry, his passion. Leonard Bernstein conducting an orchestra was from his soul and he had a level of mastery through which he could transmit his soul into the orchestra. And there's no other way to put it. He was also an individualist and an egoist of the highest order. He earned his ego, and I think uh, while an ego can always cause some problems, I think he deserved all of his pride, and I think he was an individual worth, uh, worth visiting, for sure. And I can't wait to tell my dad, because he's the one who taught me everything I know about Leonard Bernstein. But I'm gonna keep moving and see who else I can find. Next, Jean-Michel Basquiat. And I just passed by the, some kind of a film shoot. I don't know whether they're doing a TV show, a movie, or what, but I, I figure I'm not gonna bother them. I wanted to ask one of the staff, but the last thing the staff wants is when they're busy working hard is to have some random person saying, Oh, what's filming? Oh my god, I love him. So, don't be that guy, right? I did not be that guy. Okay, so I uh, was totally just that guy. And uh, turns out they're filming a movie, all right. I'm not going to blow up their spot, though, by saying what it is. But, yeah, just as I expected, there turned out to be people in the movie that I would have liked to have seen. I respect their work. I enjoy their work. But I missed out. I didn't know who was out there to spot. They, they're like ants from that distance. So, anyway, oh, I just found a nice shady nook. I've been out here for a while. Gotta stop and hydrate. Boy, I have been walking for close to an hour now and just arrived at Sassafras Avenue. That, that's a, a word you have to say with some uh, sass. You gotta put some sass in your fraz. Or you can say it like an old man. I'm on Sassafras Avenue. Anyway, I'm goofing off too much in a very, very, very serene place. So I'm sorry about that. I am, I'm adjusting my energy. I'm adjusting my energy, but I'm excited because I'm close to finding Jean-Michel Basquiat. Actually, you know something, Jean-Michel Basquiat did not give a flying. He was an irreverent artist, and I like to think in my own way I am too. So here I am, the rebel, making funny voices in a cemetery. Dangerous stuff, kids. Don't try this at home, because then, well, then you live in a cemetery. And I'm afraid of you, so never mind. Do whatever you want. So, okay, so I figured out pretty much where Jean-Michel Basquiat is, and I'm on my way to him at, as we speak, as I speak, and as you watch and listen. And I have to just give a shout-out at the moment to meat, because I think that about 60 pounds ago, I would have been sweating profusely. I would have been dripping, not just glistening. I believe I mentioned the vultures earlier. They're meat-eaters, huh? 
I appreciate that the first thing I saw when I got here was a, a group of... What's the word, the word for a group of vultures? Is there a word like a... I can't think of anything clever right now. Uh, you can maybe suggest some in the comments. I've been coming to this cemetery since I was a little boy. I actually came to Greenwood on a class trip with my Catholic school. I was probably in the uh, fourth grade, fifth grade. I loved it. I was interested in the macabre as a child and have been ever since. And it's also just a peaceful place and it's full of history. There are plenty of reasons to enjoy a walk through an historic cemetery. And that's just to say that I'm not just disrespectfully walking around and trying to be goth. I happen to be goth, but my goth activities are done with the greatest respect. I've got to be honest, walking through these stones makes me feel kind of like I'm in a Zelda game. I grew up playing too much Zelda, so naturally I'm gonna have that association. Just some more nostalgia I'm sharing with you folks. Okay, I'm very close to finding Basquiat's grave, but I just found this wonderful little, I guess the word is grove, and I just wanted to show you how magical it is. It just opens up into a whole different light as soon as you step into it. So peaceful and beautiful. The color changes. It's it's a magical place. I just wanted to share that with you. I don't even know if the magic is visible to the camera. But just look at the bliss in my face. That's all I can give you. What do you expect from me? Okay, so here I am. I found Basquiat's grave. I'm uncomfortably crouching in order to just hang out with him a bit. I was actually gonna kind of be out of character and sit on the floor, but the ground rather, and uh, it's covered in ants, so uh, not gonna happen. But just as Leonard Bernstein reminds me of my father, Jean-Michel Basquiat reminds me of my mother. She's a big fan, and I actually love the film Basquiat. It's uh, one of my favorite movies to watch over and over. I love movies about artists as an artist. It's always inspiring. That's where I get a lot of my epiphanies, is watching films like, like Basquiat. My own aesthetics tend to be a little more formal than his, but I really enjoy the energy, the raw energy in his work, and it really captured his spirit. And I think capturing your spirit is really the essence of great art, no matter what medium, no matter what style. I always find it admirable when someone is able to capture that because that requires a direct connection between your materials and yourself. That's deeper than, than it even seems. That was a nice, a nice little bout of epiphanitis at the grave of Jean-Michel Basquiat. Hi, Mom. Hey, you guys. Uh, no, this is not a goth parasol to shield me from the evils of the sun. It is actually starting to rain. I don't know if I need the umbrella yet, but I'm just getting ready because <clears throat> this is kind of a downpour type of situation. It's very dramatic. These dark clouds are twisting in the sky, like in the movie Poltergeist, one of my favorites. I'm trying to find my way out. I think I accidentally stayed too late. Hopefully I can get out without getting in trouble. And the wind has inverted my umbrella. Oh, before I go, I want to take note of the fact that when I, as soon as I started drawing uh, a portrait of Basquiat at Basquiat's grave, the skies clouded over, they darkened, and as soon as I finished drawing, 
his face, his hair, actually, as soon as I finished the last part of the drawing, the rain started coming down. It's good to note these synchronicities from time to time, try not to get too sucked up into them, but just kind of ride the wave of the magic in your life. All right, I'm trying to be cute here, but it's actually a problem. Uh, I'm getting drenched. My phone is waterproof, but I am not. I think I was almost out, but it started to rain so hard and my umbrella broke. So, I'm pretty screwed. It's gonna be a challenge, but I'm still having fun, which is kind of crazy. I should be miserable. But Greenwood Cemetery, a childhood favorite, and I get the most goth weather possible. Listen to that thunder. Thor is with us, and so is Odin, the spirit of inspiration. <laughs> I tried sheltering underneath a tree here, and um, while the ground was dry underneath the tree, it is now soaking wet, along with everything else, including myself, so... Ah, there it is. The great roar of thunder. But I just wanted to, I just wanted to record for a moment here, because my trip to Greenwood was absolutely magical. I wanted to share my exhilaration, my, my joy in this moment, even though I'm drenched and it's, and I don't know how I'm getting out of here. I'm having a wonderful time. I'm feeling the inspiration. Okay, I just got stopped by a security guard who was patrolling in a car and he's gonna let me out of one of the closed entrances. So I really appreciate that. Alright, and that does it for the second episode of Epiphanitis. It turned out kind of more stream of consciousness than I expected. Not a lot of bells and whistles this time. I think there's enough variety in the topics and environments that I thought it would be a little too much to throw in a lot of disc jockey gimmicks. I don't write these beforehand, I just speak and edit later. And while these recordings may not reach the refinement of the printed page, at least not always, this is pretty much a new way of writing for me. So thank you for joining me in my creative process as you perhaps contemplate your own, because whether you consider yourself an artist or not, I think we all experience epiphanies. Alright, thanks again for listening, and until next time, stay inspired.